0: You are listening to a presentation of Streams Church in Goodyear, Arizona. For more audio and visual content, go to streamschurch.org. And now, Pastor Lloyd Baker. Uh, we've been talking about the week to change the world, talking about the Passion Week, um, the last week of Jesus' life. And if he only had one week to live, what would you do and how would you spend it? Um, we said that Jesus' last week on earth was very calculated. We believe that every event, uh, every action was precise, every, every day had a purpose. Today's scripture will be in Isaiah 53 in Hebrews chapter 4, so if you have your Bibles and you'd like to turn there, you can get ready. The first day we talked about was Sunday, which was Palm Sunday. Jesus rode in Jerusalem on a donkey to accolades of Hosanna. The word Hosanna means save us now, and it was a form of praise, but it was also a form of exclamation and prayer, God, please save us. And uh, the lesson we learned that day is that there's a danger for all of us when we become disillusioned or disappointed when God uh, does not save us within the confines or the expectations of what we believe or how he, we believe He should. That many times, God's definition of how He should save our life or take care of an issue or problem differs from how we think God should. And when that happens, uh, we can become disillusioned or even disappointed in God. And Jesus is seeing the very people that are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna... A couple days later, we'll be saying, crucify, 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 because their definition of how God was supposed to take care of them differed from what Jesus knew, how he was going to save them spiritually. And so the Bible says, literally, Jesus looked over Jerusalem and said, If you only knew what would bring you peace, if you only knew. And he weeps because the definitions don't match. That was Sunday. On Monday, Jesus goes into the temple and clears out all the corrupt religious leaders, the money changers. the merchants that were in there using religion to uh, take people's monies and to abuse people and uh, said that the children were the only ones that fully understand what was going on. Um, they saw Jesus at the end of that day begin to heal people and they began to praise him. And we said the children knew that if God was to come to earth, that he would heal and save everybody he could, that he'd be all-inviting and not like the religious system, restricting people from God, but inviting people into God. Tuesday was the day of argument. It was the day that the religious leaders tried to trap Jesus with questions. They tried to get him into an argument. They tried to um, take, a, a, you know, discredit him before the masses of people, to getting him into a showdown between them and a theological debate. And we said we learned that the enemy of our souls constantly tries to distract us by diversionary tactics, getting us involved in meaningless things that are not important to life or ministry or family or friends. And we get down these rabbit trails. And when we do, it takes us away from what is pure and true and real. And on that day, when all these people are trying to trick Jesus, he looks up, he sees this poor woman widow at the altar, giving her offering everything she has to offer. And here's this one woman in her humility in her sincerity, who has more passion and love for God than anyone in the temple. And Jesus points her out. Wednesday was a day of arrangement where Judas betrayed Jesus. And if you remember, Judas was a very greedy man. In the middle of a situation, Jesus points out his greed and really rebukes him. And because of that rebuke, Judas then immediately leaves and goes and makes a decision to betray Jesus to the Pharisees. We talked about this that uh, unresolved conflict in your life almost always leads to being easily offended. See, when you have things in your life that you haven't dealt with, whether it's uh, sin that's never been confessed, pains that have never been healed, something from your past that you've never dealt with, and somebody touches that nerve, you can become easily offended in that situation. Judas was greedy, very greedy. And he never dealt with that. And finally, when Jesus sort of says, you know, you're greedy in so many terms, he, he gets upset, gets offended, and goes and takes on um, and disowns Jesus. And we need to really watch that. We need to look at it. We need to ask a question. And perhaps it has something to do with our own life. And we need to look at that. Thursday was last week. And Pastor, Pastor Josh spoke about uh, temptations. It was a night that Jesus was tempted in his, in his earthly man to not go through with the death plan that God had to give up his life. Judas was offended uh, and betrayed Jesus. He was tempted to betray Jesus. Peter was tempted to fight the guards when they were arresting Jesus. The disciples fled. Peter was tempted to deny knowing Jesus, and he failed at it three times. Uh, And so that leads us to today, which is Friday, the day of agony. I don't know if you've ever used a word, spoken it out, and then immediately thought, Did that mean what I think it means, or do I look like a complete idiot right now? And if you've been around this church long enough, you know that I have done that. (laughs) Use words that didn't mean what, and I've had to come back and tell you, no, I didn't mean that word, I actually meant this word. I spent most of my high school days in the, the Ozark Mountains of Arkansas in the 1980s, so that's where I went to high school, and when I came back to Arizona... Somebody asked me, he said, well, in high school, what did you have as your, your secondary language? I said, well, in the Ozark Mountains, English is a secondary language. <laughs> so, <laughs> that one. And so uh, when I decided to follow my calling in the ministry, I determined that I'd expand my vocabulary with phrases that didn't start or end with y'all all the time. <laughs> I remember when I first went to school, I was in eighth grade in Arkansas. We moved from California. This is back in the mid-70s. And I was going out for a practice one day, and the basketball coach came to, me, came to me and said, "Are you feeling puny today?" And I wasn't feeling too—I wasn't feeling great. And he goes, "Are you feeling puny today?" I'm, like, I'm a pretty tall guy compared to everybody else on the team. Am I feeling puny today? No, coach. I'm like the same height I was yesterday. I mean, I know—I <laughs> know what you're talking about. He goes, "No puny, son. Are you feeling sick? Are you puny?" I go, "Yeah, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not feeling very good today. That's why I, I was sick last night." So puny was his word. For sick, I remember once I was trying to reach and, uh, you know, slam the ball. And he goes, how much did you like that? And I went, oh, well, I liked it a lot, but I didn't slam the ball. He goes, no, how much did you lack? I go, what? He goes, how far were you from throwing it down? Did you lack? Did you lack? And I said, oh, how much, how much did I lack getting the ball into the... Yeah. I understand what you're saying now. I was, I was about three inches short, you know, that. So I had to learn um, all about it. One of my quotes is this. You're about as busy as a short-tailed cow during fly season. <laughs> Think about that a little bit, okay? <laughs> so, am I, is this from me or? Okay, I'm getting, can you switch mics? My, my sound guys are. Okay, let's we'll, we'll see what happens here. Sorry about that. Um, I must be hitting. Two words um, that often get confused and misused are sympathy and empathy or to sympathize or empathize with somebody. To to sympathize with somebody is to acknowledge another person's emotional hardships um, and and provide comfort and assurance when you have not experienced the same hardships yourself. Um, I'm sorry that you're going through that. I don't understand, but I'm really sorry it's happening to you. To empathize is totally different. Empathize is understanding what others are feeling because you've experienced it yourself. And you can say to somebody, I'm sorry that's happened to you. I totally understand what you're going through right now. I don't know if you've ever had somebody with you that that tried to empathize, but really they're only sympathizing. They're trying to tell you they understand, but they don't really understand because they've never been through the situation you've been through. Um, It's good intention. I get that. I understand. But they really have no idea. My youngest daughter Brittany and I have a common nuisance. Um, Our chin shakes when we get overtired or upset uh, we're not feeling well. It, it shakes, and sometimes it, it shakes violently. It's it's a genetic, just a genetic tick, and people notice. It's it happens that strongly, and sometimes they think we're just cold. Are you cold? You look like you're cold. So no, I'm not cold. I'm not cold. Sometimes they think I'm about to cry. Are you about to cry? Did I upset you? Did I say something? <laughs> you might just like shaking. And so oftentimes when I'm, I see people pre- looking at my chin, just staring at my chin, I, I'm just very preemptive and say, you know what? It's a nervous tick. It just happens. I was born with it. Um, the advantage that Brittany has over me is that I had it first. And I knew exactly what she was going through. I knew the jokes that would come up in high school. I know what people would think, what they would say, what she would feel like. And uh, I could say to her, I, I understand. It's weird. People stare at you when it starts happening. They can't look at your eyes. they're just staring at your chin. I understand. But when I grew up, I had nobody I didn't know anybody had a chin like that. Nobody could empathize with me. And I wondered if there was something wrong with me. maybe there, maybe there was something wrong with my brain or I had a chiropractor convinced that he could make it stop if he just adjusted me the right way, and so he beat me up a million times because he just knew it was my I was out of alignment. That's why my chin was shaking. Uh, When I found my birth father after 39 years, she said, "Um, ask him if his chin shakes. (laughs) That was like one of the first questions she wanted to know. And uh, so I said, hey, listen, does your chin shake? And he goes, well, yeah. He goes, it does. Your grandfather, and he just started going down the line of chin shakers. We just had this, (laughs) this whole line of people whose chin shaked. Um, I, so I asked him about other health issues and things that I might have to look forward to in my older age. And um, it, He's one of those guys, I don't know if you ever met somebody, it doesn't matter how hard it is for you, it's harder for him. Or, or how great your accomplishment, he, he one-ups you on everything. And so no matter what story I told you, he of course had a much bigger story than I had. And um, any accomplishment, and there's some things that he easily surpassed. He, he does have some He has outperformed me in many ways. Um, He's had five more marriages than I have had, so (laughs) I'm only on one, and I plan on staying there. Uh, He has six more illegitimate children than I have that he never supported or knows or is taken care of. Um, I'm on zero, and I I love my babies, and I'll be there for them always. Um, He's a much different guy than I am. It's hard to empathize with someone that you don't have a whole lot of common with or that you haven't been through the same situations. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about a young man in our congregation who got hit on a skateboard. I don't know if you remember that, Kyle Page. We prayed for him. He was rushed to the hospital, had major brain issues, and um, they didn't know what was going to happen, to be honest with you. It was a real touch and go. Um, he's just really, in the last couple of days, if you've seen Facebook, just really improved tremendously. And yesterday... Or two days ago on Erica, his mother's Facebook, she wrote this. She goes, Oh my gosh, I was so distraught yesterday after a rough day with Kyle. It's absolutely amazing what 12 hours can do. A therapist came in and asked him about 50 questions. Things like, Place these months in chronological order, Who's the president, what's your birthday, etc. And he answered everyone exactly right. It's such a roller coaster ride. He's most likely being moved over to Barrow's Neurological Therapy Center tomorrow. He'll be there for a couple weeks, and I'm so hopeful that my baby will come home soon. Yesterday, we saw a Facebook picture, and he's thumbs up and sitting up, and and, uh, two weeks ago, you couldn't even recognize him. Um, I remember when I was sat down with Bill. We went there right afterwards, and I was with him for several hours. His father, Bill, said to me, this is the worst nightmare of my life. I wouldn't even wish this on my worst enemy. And my response was this. I said, I can't even imagine. I, I, I can't even imagine what you're going through. I'm so sorry. It doesn't even enter my psyche what it would be like to be a father sitting there knowing your son's life is in the balance. You can't even speak to him. But I know one who can empathize. God the Father. He had to watch his son endure hours of painful suffering and then die. See, Friday was a day of agony. On Thursday night, knowing the pain and agony he would suffer, Jesus prayed, if there's any other way, let it pass. Perhaps, God, you can even dial it down a bit. But God couldn't. He absolutely couldn't. Jesus had to go through every calculated heartache and pain And he knew that, so he eventually prayed, God, not my will, but yours will be done. Max Lucato quotes this and says, For it was in the garden that he made his decision. He would rather go to hell for you than go to heaven without you. I'm going to read Isaiah 53. It's a prophecy of that day about our Lord Jesus. We're going to read the whole chapter. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before Him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to Him, nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, He was despised, and we held Him in low esteem. And surely He took up our pain and He bore our suffering, yet we considered Him punished by God he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before it shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And After he suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great, And he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I could go on and read you all the scriptures in the Gospels that talk about the events of that Friday, but I'd like to just show you a video. And the video is going to highlight all the events and some of the events that happened on that Friday. So dim the light and look at the video. I'm convinced that as horrific as it was, every event of that day was totally calculated by God himself. Uh, Some of you know the deep wound of being betrayed by a close family, friend, or relative. Uh, Judas betrayed Jesus. Peter denied knowing Jesus. His disciples ran away when Jesus was arrested. Watched from afar his agony and said nothing. To be betrayed and victimized by those who love is one of the worst Attacks, I think, ever imagined by the heart of Satan. An enemy can't hurt you as much as, as a loved one. Only a friend can hurt you like that. Jesus knows what it's like to be betrayed um, by friends. If you're like me, uh, you have a strong reactions to being <laughs> falsely accused. We have a basketball league that plays on Thursday nights I play a part of uh, with the guys and uh, this last Sunday, I played some guys I know really well against another team. I made this great move and blocked a shot, totally clean shot. And the referee called a foul on me, and I started reacting. I don't know why. I just am like, "Oh got God, be kidding me!" I was, you know, man, I'm, I'm bouncing around doing this whole thing like that. No way, I can't. you know. And then my friends over there are like, going, "Oh man, he just got me in the neck, and he's walking around." And I wish I didn't react like that to when people accuse me of things I don't do, but uh, I do. Some of you know the same thing. Um, so many people. Uh, are falsely accused in ways though that destroy families and marriages. Things people say about other things that aren't true, and it really impacts relationships. And some of you know what that's like. People that haven't talked to you for years because of something somebody said. There are things in high school that you've been accused of you're still I mean, you're still holding on to hurts and burns and things that happened. And Jesus knows what it's like to be falsely accused to be punished unjustly, to be treated unfairly. Rome would have never allowed a subjected people to kill off their own offenders. And the reason was it's a, it's a conflict of interest. So if the Jewish council brings somebody together and they're, they're passing judgment upon somebody, they were not allowed to give a death sentence because they would make things up against people that were in favor of Rome. So they would just go find out traitors. So they didn't allow that. Rome didn't allow that. The only person who could pass judgment unto death was a Roman council. But they could care less about religious affairs. So in order to get Jesus put to death, the Jews came up to the Romans and said, Listen, Pilate, he claims to be the king of the Jews. This is a political thing, not a religious thing. And he's the king of the Jews, and he's going to lead a revolt, and he's going to take over Rome if you don't do something about this. And so they put it into Pilate's hands for him to judge, knowing that if he could get Pilate to rule, they could have Jesus killed. And if you remember the day Pilate came back to them and said, listen, this, I find no, nothing wrong with this case. And basically what he's saying is, is this is not a political issue. This is a spiritual religious issue. You take him and you judge them. And that was the battle going on between the Pharisees and Pilate because they're saying, hey, listen, if we can get him to sign off this, the guy will be killed. We can't kill him ourselves. And so finally this argument went on to the place where Pilate finds this, all right, do with him what you want to do with him. I know you want him killed. Kill him. But that was the issue at hand. It wasn't political issue. So Jesus was falsely accused, thrown into a ring, to be killed by a people. He understands that. Six trials in nine to twelve hours. Rush to judgment. Jesus knows what it's like to be falsely accused. Jesus knows excruciating pain. The word excruciating literally means from the cross. If you say I have excruciating pain, it means I have, I have pain like from the cross. It was invented by the Persians, perfected by the Romans. Jesus was hung on the cross even into the darkness. He knows debilitating back pain. I don't know if you've ever had back pain that just knocks you down for a week. Many people believe Jesus was whipped 39 times, but the exact number is actually not recorded anywhere in the Gospels. And because the punishment was not executed by the Jews, we don't know for sure, because the Jews were bound by law to only whip somebody 39 times. And, and their form of whipping was actually less severe than the Romans. But because he was tried by a Roman court, he was whipped by the Romans, so we actually don't know the amount of time. And then they used, and I won't go into great detail because I know we have different generations in our congregation, but they used a cat of nine tails, which was a much more harmful device than any of the Jewish whips. It was, it was meant to inflict harsh pain and punishment on the person. And the idea of the Romans was to get them close to the de- to death close enough where they wouldn't die, but they almost died so they then could hang him on the cross. He knows what that looks like. And he took those stripes on his back. A Roman scourge. If you've ever suffered from migraines or headaches that are debilitating, Jesus understands he had a a, a crowny thorn stuck into his head, the piercing feeling that you get. Um, you will never know any greater physical pain in this life than Jesus did on Good Friday. What happened to you? He understands excruciating pain. Jesus knows exhaustion, physical exhaustion, beyond your own human strength. He got to the place when he was carrying the cross up the hill that his body just gave out. He couldn't do it anymore. And he had to have help. He knows what it's like to, to be pushed to the limit where your body gives up. You just can't do it anymore. He knows the pain of leaving a loved one behind. He's on the cross and he's dying in this in this state, and his mother is watching the entire scene. And as he's dying and he's he looks around and he sees her. His own mother watching this. He's going to leave her behind, and in that moment, in that softness, he says to John, "Hey, listen, please take care of my mother when I leave." He knows what that feels like. Jesus knows what a broken heart feels like. When Jesus was thrust in the spear in the side, blood and water gushed forth. And the medical community will tell you that when blood and water gush forth from a person internally, it's because their heart has exploded. Uh, Jesus literally died of a broken heart. The weight of every sin of the world, past, present, and future was upon him, and it crushed his very heart. Jesus knows the rejection of extending love to somebody. He's on the cross and there's two thieves, one on each side, and they begin to talk to one another. He extends to them grace and love. And one of them accepts it and one of them mocks him and rejects him in those last hours. He knows what it's like to extend out grace and love and then just have it totally rejected by somebody. It's painful to have kindness rejected. It's a slap in the face when you've extended yourself and tried to reach out to somebody. And Jesus understands this. He knows what it's like to be ridiculed and laughed at in your time of greatest misery. He knows what that feels like. He knows so much that he did something about it. It doesn't seem like a very good Friday. Did God really have to have him betrayed? Yes, he did. Did he really have to be ridiculed? Did he have to go through that and be put on public display and falsely accused? Absolutely, yeah, he, he did. Did he have to be whipped and beaten and have thorns forced on his head? Yes, he did. Did he have to become so exhausted that his body broke under the weight of the cross? Yes. Did he have to have his mother see him in that state, this broken and bloodied state? Mm, he did. Well, why? Actually, the Bible tells us why in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Knowing that there's nothing you could ever go through that he hasn't gone through already, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, Jesus can empathize with you, he doesn't have to just sympathize, he can empathize. But, Jesus, I feel all alone, I feel betrayed in this world. I understand, I know how you feel, and I carried those sorrows. To the cross. Give them to me. Leave them behind. I'll take them. But Jesus, I've been railroaded in life. I've been falsely accused. I've lost my job. I live under a cloud of oppression. It's not my fault. Me too. That's why I was bruised and beaten, to be able to give you peace of mind. Let me give that to you. But I, you know, I live in immense pain. Daily pain. I just suffer. Physical suffering. Headaches. and ah, I've got your back on that one too. Literally, I've got your back. By my stripes, you are healed. I have a broken heart. I extended love to somebody and they just rejected it. I took all the transgressions. I understand that because I took all the transgressions that you've ever committed and anybody's ever committed against you. And I purchased them And I purchased forgiveness for everybody. I could go on and on and on and on. Every move, every pain, every trial was calculated to prove that Jesus can empathize with anything that you have or ever will endure in your lifetime. He understands it all and did something about it. So Hebrews tells us simply what to do. Because Jesus can empathize, not just sympathize, we should approach God's throne of grace with confidence so we can receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can go to God and say, I feel this way. I get it. I know what that feels like. And I know what can help you. Let me help you. I've been there. Let me say two words Jesus understands. Jesus understands. Absolutely. We're going to have communion. We usually have it on the first Sunday. We're going to have it today, but we're going to have it at the end of service. And so I'm going to ask the ushers and the band to come forward at this time. And we're going to pray, and then we'll pass it out if you'll stand with me. Communion is the act of remembering everything that Christ did for us on that Good Friday. For the salvation of our soul, for the peace of our mind, and for the healing of our body. So would you join me in prayer? And perhaps there are moments right now that you're going, I just came here in a lot of pain today. I'm tired, and I don't know if anybody understands that, but Jesus understands that. He really does. I've got broken relationships. Jesus understands that. That's what He died for, to remend relationships. So, Jesus, thank You so much that You came to this earth to give us life, to heal our bodies, Um, and that you understand everything. Thank you that you went through it. Everything. And you understand it all. And you can empathize with us. And so today we receive your mercy. We receive your grace. We come with confidence because we know we're going to someone who who totally understands our situation. We come to you because you totally understand what's going on in our life. You know what that pain feels like. You know what it's like to lose a loved one. You know what that feels like, Lord. So we come to You today and ask You for grace and mercy. Heal our bodies. Heal our souls. Heal our minds. We receive it all. Your salvation. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Streams Church in Goodyear, Arizona. Email any questions to streamschurch at msn.com. The mission of Streams Church is very simple, to lead people into their life calling, a relationship with Jesus Christ that is challenging, growing, and purposeful. For more information about service times, location, or events, go to StreamsChurch.org.